Let me tell you something, uh, Laura, and everyone watching. The revolution has begun. Uh -oh. A silent revolution by the Democrat Party and Joe Biden to take over this country. By the Democrat Party? The revolution's by the Democrats? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Oh, uh, okay. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast -coast every day around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your uh, exhaustive but for exhausted but friendly investigative blogger, <laughs> journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from brandblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We will be joined momentarily by the great longtime blogger, old-school blogger, Kevin Drum, our old friend, formerly of Mother Jones, formerly of Washington Monthly, and before that, at his old Cal Pundit site back at the uh, dawn of the blogging era. <laughs> That was a long time ago. Yeah, to discuss his new fascinating and what I am calling investigative essay in this month's Mother Jones magazine into what is headlined the real source of America's rising rage, subtitled We Are at War with Ourselves, But Not for the Reasons You Think. We will find out that, uh, that real source for that very real rage, uh, and uh, the reasons for it shortly from Kevin's exhaustively sourced report, which I found really, really enlightening. And, well, ironically enough, enraging at the same time. <laughs> uh, but first, to warm up your rage, uh, perhaps, uh, Desi Doyen, what is that? What, what is it that scientists have been warning us about over and over that the world the temperature that the world must maintain as far as the increase in global warming since the industrial age in order to avoid the most catastrophic effects of climate change. Well, we're supposed to limit temperatures from rising more than 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. 1.5 degrees Celsius would be better. Would be much better. That's Way what better. they're gunning for with the uh, Paris Climate Agreement. 1. Yeah, the 5. climate agreement is 2, but uh, the uh, the uh, the aspirational, the we've really right. got to try is 1.5. Right. Uh, and, and what are we at now so far? Do you recall? 1.1, I think. 1.1. All right. So uh, 1. almost 1. there. 
Celsius degree rise since pre-industrial times back in the 1800s. But the nations of the world have been making new pledges to try and meet the 1.5 slash 2.0 Celsius degree (laughs) limits that were agreed upon uh, with the Paris Agreement, including Joe Biden's plan for an 80 percent reduction in carbon emissions from electricity generation by 2035. Do I have that right? Yep. And to get to net zero emissions by 2050. And to do that, the new climate infrastructure initiatives uh, in in the proposed $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation plan must be adopted. The plan that Democrats are now fighting amongst themselves over to try and pass in the U.S. Senate under rules that allow them to avoid the filibuster and pass a budget bill without any Republicans as long as they can get along with themselves. Well, even if they are able to do that, which is still a big if at this hour, thanks in no small part to Joe Manchin from the coal state of West Virginia, uh, apparently with the current pledges being made by countries around the world, Even if uh, Democrats are able to pull that off in the Senate, it ain't going to be enough. From The Washington Post today, the United Nations said in a report on Friday that the new climate action plan submitted by nations around the world this year would, if implemented, lead to a 12 percent reduction in their greenhouse gases by 2030 compared to 2010. Well, that sounds good, but... The U.N. warned that if other nations failed to submit new, more ambitious plans, emphasis on more ambitious, and continued on their current paths, greenhouse gas emissions would increase by 16 percent by the end of the decade, and that would put the planet on a trajectory to warm by, hope you're sitting down, 2.7% degrees Celsius. That's almost five degrees Fahrenheit by the end of this century compared to the end of the 1800s. 2.7 degrees. That's the path we are currently on at this hour, and it would be catastrophic. That is a level far above what international leaders have embraced as the upper limit of global warming, according to the Post, though even lower temperature increases could mean millions of people losing their homes to rising seas, the loss of vast sections of permafrost, and extinction, extinction for scores of animal species. Uh, See, by comparison, everything else we cover today, Des, is going to be much less enraging. (laughs) See what I'm doing there? Yeah. The uh, U.N. report says that it had received uh, 86 new plans from uh, from nations, but that as of the end of July, nearly as many countries had still not stepped forward with new roadmaps. The U.N. warning comes as President Biden gathered the world's biggest emitters to the White House on Friday to try to reach an agreement among some of them to cut methane, which is a very potent greenhouse gas, by 30 percent before 2030. Uh, That uh, meeting in advance of the U.N. Global Climate Summit in Glasgow, Scotland, in early November. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres, in remarks at the White House on Friday, said, quote, the world is on a catastrophic pathway to 2.7 degrees of heating, warning there is, quote, high risk of failure at the coming climate summit. 
Many of the biggest emitters, such as China, India, Turkey, have yet to formally commit to a 2030 emissions reduction target. Equally worrying, Brazil and Mexico both put forward weaker emissions targets compared to what they submitted five years ago after the, par- uh, after the Paris Agreement. So they're going in the wrong direction. And Russia said it could emit more in 2030 than it does now. Great job, Russia. You must be enjoying those year-round world's largest wildfires destroying Siberia right around now. Unbelievable. Uh, Closer to home, especially for us here, just a few hours, uh, just a few hours from here, the uh, great Sequoia National Park. Uh, The reality there is uh, getting both real and potentially heartbreaking. We are big fans of our national park system around here. Yep. And one of our favorites at this hour is now under severe threat. Very severe. According to Newsweek today, officials at Sequoia National Park in California have now wrapped the base of the world's largest tree in a fire-resistant blanket to protect it from imminently encroaching wildfires. General Sherman, as it's known, joins other sequoias and the giant forest museum and several nearby buildings in undergoing these emergency measures. If you haven't seen these amazing trees in Sequoia National Park, uh, you're missing out. And sadly, if you haven't seen them by now, well, you may never be able to make up for that. The aluminum wrapping, which is capable of withstanding intensive heat for at least short amounts of time, has previously been effective in retarding fire from sensitive structures. While the bark on these trees can be up to 12 inches thick and full of fire-resistant tannins, by the way. They're, yes. They're supposed to be resist. The, the reason they are so large and old is because they have resisted so many fires over the years. Yes, and fire can be part of their life cycle. Some of them require flames to actually release their seeds, but fires are different now. Fires burn hotter and higher and longer and in broader areas, so it's not the same as it used to be. The sequoias are not adapted to the new kind of fire that we have now. And in addition, a spokesperson from the company supplying these aluminum fire blankets uh, said that uh, after decades of wildfires burning holes in the base of the tree, the fires can actually become unstable and topple. The over. trees could become yeah. unstable and topple. Yeah, and they're, what, you know, 3,000 years old? Yeah, that's all. Um, uh, several hundred feet high, yeah, so it's it. kind of big. Yeah. Squares are normally most vulnerable to crown fires, which ignite the trees at the top and burn down. The Colony Fire, one of the two burning now in Sequoia National Park, was forecast to arrive at the grove of some 2,000 sequoias on Thursday, September 16. Uh, standing 270 feet tall, 75 feet tall, the approximately 2,000-year-old General Sherman tree is believed to be the world's largest, uh, biggest. The tree's girth at ground height, uh, the portion of the plant now protected by the fire blanket, stretches 102 feet. This tree has been alive since before Christ. The fires were started by a lightning storm that uh, struck Sequoia National Park 
on September 9, droughts and heat waves exacerbated by man-made climate change are to blame for making these wildfires harder to combat in the region. Areas such as California have become warmer and drier in the past three decades, meaning extreme weather events may become both increasingly frequent and destructive. Now, within the past few hours, a bit of encouraging news from the L.A. Times... Uh, they report wrapped in fire-resistant aluminum. The giant forest trees in Sequoia National Park remained safe from the encroaching KNP complex fire on Friday, even as crews work to prepare the 2,000-tree grove from flames that appear imminent. Fire officials sounded the alarm on Thursday that the blaze could reach the grove. Uh, that includes General Sherman, um, so far, that grim forecast, they say, has not come to pass, at least so far. The fires are moving slowly and so far have burned a, uh, more than 11,000 acres. They continue to rage with no containment, sending massive plumes of dense smoke over what's typically a popular tourist destination. According to uh, fire officials, flames were within one mile of the giant forest on Thursday. Mm. Uh, and uh, some of these trees are more than 3,000 years old, actually. Yes. Crews were still wrapping some of their bases in a fire-resistant aluminum material and clearing needles and debris from around each tree. Uh, they're literally, uh, a spokesperson says, there's methodical work going on in this area to protect those giant trees. They're moving slowly, uh, tree by tree, one at a time. So it is uh, one day, one hour, one tree, literally at a time right now at the moment. Fingers crossed that you will get to see these amazing trees. Now, I know it's not the, uh, you know, the worst effect of climate change, especially with people being killed by floods and fires across the country and the world right now. But this one kind of really hits home, at least for us here, sadly. Yes. Uh, something I never predicted I would ever say. But, hey, we're rooting for you, General Sherman. <laughs> and with that great news, uh, when we should be, frankly, coming together to prevent the world from literally burning down some in this country, at least, appear ready to burn down the nation itself, at least politically. Uh, David Rothkopf, uh, author of the upcoming book Traitor, A History of American Betrayal from Benedict Arnold to Donald Trump, writes in a lengthy Twitter thread today. Uh, With every passing day, it looks less like we have one nation divided by differing political beliefs and more like we have two warring countries battling each other within shared borders. One side represents and seeks to preserve the United States. The other seeks to destroy it. If the goal of the GOP is, as it appears to be, to gut our democracy, to disenfranchise massive portions of our population, to impose the views of the minority on the majority, to attack principles like tolerance that no individual is above the law, to literally reject reality and demonstrable facts and embrace an alternative reality founded in lies and dangerous to the health of the nation, our environment, our ideals, and our standing in the world, then we have left the realm of political debate. 
A third of eligible U.S. voters seem committed to this toxic agenda, writes Rothkoff today. Worse, their views and their leaders seem to be growing ever more extreme. They reject rational debate, mutual understanding, or compromise. They embrace confrontation, obstruction, and destruction. Their view, like that of extremists worldwide, is zero-sum nihilism. Either they get their way or they will destroy the whole thing. Their movement is funded by the greed of an elite that sees the extremists as the populist engine to drive their own narrow agenda of self-enrichment. This elite lives in a bubble so removed from the rest of society that it hardly matters to them what the state of the lives of the rest of us might be. They operate above and beyond the reach of the law and see politicians as useful idiots and government as a needless constraint on their power. They don't believe that less government equals more freedom as, they, as those that they fund preach. They believe less government equals more freedom and more wealth for them, and that's all that matters. The question we face is what we do about it, writes Rothkoff. Now, he goes on to speak to what we do about it or should try to do about it. And I will link to his Twitter thread if you'd like to read the rest. But the thing that has caught my attention today, frankly, is how did we get here? How did we get here to this place and why? And there are some answers to that, at least according to data, at least according to Mother Jones's Kevin Drum. He joins us next on the broadcast to discuss exactly that, the real source of America's rage. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. How did we get here? There has been quite a bit of coverage of, of this new poll out from CNN this week, but a lot of folks have covered different aspects of it than the one that actually uh, caught my eye. From CNN, most Americans feel democracy is under attack in this country, according to a new CNN poll as 51% believe it is likely that elected officials in the U.S. will successfully overturn the results of a future election because their party did not win. Nearly all Americans feel that democracy in the U.S. is at least being tested. 93% total say that democracy is either under attack, that's 56%, or being tested but not under attack, 37%. A scant 6%, just a scant 6% say that American democracy is in no danger. Who are those people? But here's the part that caught my eye. Republicans are far more likely than Democrats to say that democracy is under attack. Really? Republicans? 
All told, 75% of Republicans say democracy is under attack, compared with just 46% of Democrats who, at least in my opinion, given the cold, hard facts of new voter suppression and election subversion laws that are being adopted by Republican-controlled states all over the country, not to mention the actual attack on the U.S. Capitol while Congress was attempting to carry out its most basic, solemn, constitutional duty of officially certifying a presidential election, well, that would seemingly have... Uh, Democrats would would seemingly have much more of a reason to believe that, yes, democracy is under attack. And yet it's a majority of Republicans, 75 percent, most unsurprisingly uh, supporters of Donald Trump, who are the most alarmed about a supposed attack on American democracy. That is somewhat stunning to me, to be frank, but according to the conclusion of a fascinating, detailed, very well-researched, and yes, lengthy, what I'm going to call investigative essay by Kevin Drum in the September-October edition of Mother Jones magazine, perhaps I should not be all that surprised or stunned by this new polling. Drum's article begins this way. Americans sure are angry these days. Everyone says so, so it must be true. Well, I certainly say so, so it's definitely true. Uh, but who or what are we angry at, he asks. Pandemic stresses aside, I bet you're not especially angry at your family or your friends or your priest or your plumber or your postal carrier or even your boss. Unless, of course, the conversation turns to politics. That's when we start shouting at each other. We are way, way angrier about politics than we used to be, he argues, something confirmed by both common experience and formal research. When did this all start, he asks. Here are a few data points to consider. From 1994 to 2000, according to the Pew Research Center, only 16% of Democrats had held, held a very unfavorable view of Republicans. Just 16%. But then these feelings started to climb. Between 2000 and 2014, it rose to 38%. And by 2021, it was about 52%. Drum notes that the same is true in reverse for Republicans. The share who intensely dislike Democrats went from 17% to 43% to now about 52%. Likewise, way back in 1958, Gallup asked people if they'd prefer their daughter marry a Democrat or a Republican. Only 28% even cared one way or the other. But when Lynn Vavrick, a political science professor at UCLA, asked a similar question just a few years ago, 55% were opposed to the idea of their children marrying outside their party. Or, he notes, consider the right track, wrong track poll, every pundit's favorite. Normally, this hovers around 40 to 50 percent of the country who think we are on the right track, with variations depending on how the economy is doing at any given time. But shortly after recovering from the 2000 recession, this changed. That right track, wrong track number plunged to 20 to 30 percent over the next decade, and it stayed there. Finally... 
Academic research confirms what these polls tell us. Last year, a team of researchers published an international study that estimated what's called effective polarization, or the way we feel about the opposite political party. In 1978, we rated people who belonged to our party 27 points higher than people who belonged to the other party. That stayed roughly the same for the next two decades, but then began to spike in the year 2000. By 2016, here in the U.S., that number had gone up to 46 points. Those in our own party were rated higher than those in the other party by 46 points, by far the highest of any of the countries who were surveyed here. And that's before everything that has enraged us for the last four years. I'm sure I don't know what he's referring to there. What's the reason for this, asks Drum. Well, there's no shortage of speculation. Political scientists talk about the fragility of presidential systems. Sociologists explicate the culture wars. Historians note the widening divide between the parties after white Southerners abandoned the Democratic Party following the civil rights era. Reporters will regale you with stories about the impact of Rush Limbaugh and Newt Gingrich. And yes, even I will frequently cite Limbaugh for kicking much of this off. Though I also blame both Presidents Reagan and Clinton for signing legislation that first killed the fairness doctrine and then allowed the corporate takeover of our public airwaves on talk radio. But we'll see if any of that plays a part or not momentarily. There is truth in all of these, writes Drum, but even taken together, they are unlikely to explain the underlying problem. So what does explain it? Well, joining us now to try and explain it, at least, as well as one can possibly explain the details and findings of a 6,000-word investigative essay in a too-brief radio interview is our old friend Kevin Drum. Kevin, of course, is the longtime political blogger at MotherJones.com, who is now back on the independent blogging beat. And yes, the Friday cat blogging beat for those who remember his obviously greatest contribution to the blogosphere uh, from his days both at the uh, as the political animal at Washington Monthly and even his original old Cal Pundit site. Uh, that cat blogging uh, tradition continues even today at his new site, Jabberwalking.com. Kevin Drum, it has been an absurdly long time, but welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Oh, thank you. It's good to finally be back here. Yeah. Uh, listen, I, I do believe, uh, by the way, that you have been data blogging since long before data blogging was cool, if it ever was. But long before, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the sort of the modern day data bloggers like Ezra Klein, Nate Silver, etc., uh, who certainly tell us it's cool. Uh, and and there is uh, no shortage of data supporting the argument that you make in this month's edition of Mother Jones in your piece headlined The Real Source of America's Rage. Uh, Kevin, you note uh, near the open that you've, quote, been spending considerable time digging into the source of our collective rage and that the answer is trickier than some might think. So before we sort of walk through the uh, sort of three leading theories that you present and then dispel as the reason for the rage uh, before landing on what you do attribute it to uh, based on actual data. What, what were the criteria that you were looking for in making this determination? Well, you know, at the start, I mean, I started working on this a couple of years ago and, you know, gathering information, gathering data and so forth. 
And, you know, the reason that I like to gather data is basically to test my assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we all have sort of a, you know, a gut feel for what's causing mm-hmm. uh, this kind of thing. But, you know, sometimes the data uh, turns out on its head. It turns out that it's not really what you thought. Um, you know, when I started doing this, um, I thought that probably the answer was going to end up being social media. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, as we're going to um, show later on, mm-hmm. uh, it turns out that I changed my mind through uh, on that um, as I was uh, as mm-hmm. I was researching this, mm-hmm. and that it wasn't really social media probably that was causing this rage. And, you know, so what I did was I started looking at what are the most common, what are the most common things that people blame, blame this on, and I started looking at them all, and... Uh, and they mostly didn't fit hmm. because, it, yeah, go on. No, go, no, go, no, go no I was going to say, you, you, it seems like you tied uh, in, in this search, you sort of tied it for some reason to uh, the year 2000 specifically. Why was, uh, why was that the, 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 the focus, the, the turning point as you saw it? Right, exactly. That's, and and that's, that's, what, that's what cropped up when I started looking at this stuff. I was I was certainly looking. You know, when did this start? Because I mean, that's that's critical. But when did this start? When did people really start getting so angry? Mm-hmm. And on a whole range of of topics, the, you know, the year two thousand, give or take a few years, kept coming up over and over and over. And the most important way it came came up, I thought, was if you take a look at uh, trust in government. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know that that's been going down, right? People trust government less. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that if you actually look at the data, it was pretty flat from about uh, 1980 or so, you know, after Watergate. You know, Watergate, it tumbled. But from 1980 to 2000, trust in government was actually pretty steady. And then, starting around 2000 or so, it suddenly started going down, 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 down to about, you know, only 20% Mm -hmm. who now say that they have any trust in in government. And it stayed there. Mm. And that all started right around the year 2000. And a bunch of other things did too, and that that drew me to to start looking at what happened around the year two thousand. Well, you that could have that could have caused this. And you start with the theory, uh, theory number one. Uh, you say the most popular, but ultimately unsatisfying of the theories in circulation. Theory number one, Americans have gone crazy with conspiracy theories. And, of course, that is certainly true. And that has certainly twisted, I would argue, the brains of a lot of enraged Americans right now. And yet you dismiss this as the uh, as the key source of America's rage, uh, at least beginning in 2000. Why? Well, because if you, um, you know, if you start taking a look at conspiracy theories, um, you know, we think of QAnon as, you know, kind of the big one going right now. Mm-hmm. And, and sure, it's crazy, it's nuts. But, you know, if you really start, you know, if you understand the history of conspiracy theories, uh, this is by no means anything, anything new, right? I mean, in the, in the 1990s, you had, you know, ridiculous conspiracy theories about Bill Clinton, you know, running dope out of Mena Airport mm-hmm. and, you know, killing 60 or 70 people and stuff like that. You know, the John Birch Society in the 60s was full of conspiracy theories, uh, right after World War II, there were conspiracy theories about, you know, about FDR caving into the to the to the Russians, um, and and if you take a look at what, you know, there's not a lot of, of hard numbers on this, but the 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 numbers we do have show that, uh, you know, conspiracy theories have always been uh, relatively popular. I mean, in mm-hmm. the sense that you know, twenty or thirty percent of the country believes in in this stuff. 
um, mostly conservatives, but but some liberals too. You know, you've got liberals who believe in 9/11 conspiracy theories, for example, um, and and it, so I mean, it started a long time ago, and for that reason, it it really doesn't look as though our belief in conspiracy theories has grown. It's I mean, I, as bad as it seems, uh-huh. it's not actually much worse than it's been. For the last 50 or 60 years. Yeah, and you go back and show, uh, w- again, with, with data, uh, you know, various conspiracies and various beliefs that have uh, popped up, uh, as you write, in the 60s and the 40s and the 50s, uh, going back a long time. And while those things may have an effect now, you seem to argue, um, it can't be the thing that changed essentially around the year 2000. And and by the way, uh, you know I'm going to obviously link to your article here. There's a lot of stuff that you that you cite, uh, you know, writing about uh, American politics, uh, you know, in 1964 from an essay called "The Paranoid Style in American <laughs> Politics," which could have been written today about uh, you know about QAnon. Right. Right. I mean. If if you if you read that today and didn't know it was written in 1964, yeah, you would assume it was written last week. And uh, on QAnon specifically, you say that uh, you know while you know we certainly saw a lot of QAnon believers, for example, were part of the attempted insurrection at the U.S. Capitol in January. Uh, you argued that the data show that in reality, those who follow that conspiracy theory, it's actually a fairly small segment of the population. Right. I mean, the the, the true believers are very small, just a few percent. And then you've got the people who sort of, you know, when they're asked, they'll say, well, you know, there might be something to it. And, but even that's 10, 15, mm-hmm. maybe 20% at most. Um, and, and, you know, we've had loads of conspiracy theories over the years that have that much support. There's, there's, there's really just nothing all that new about this. So even with America's long history here, Kevin Drum, of conspiracy theories, uh, we have never had the means in any event to spread them quite as uh, widely and quickly as we do now, as as you mentioned, uh, which bringing us to your, your second leading theory here, theory number two, it's all about social media. Now, Kevin, I suspect I'm, I'm hardly alone in, in becoming... Uh, fairly easily and quickly enraged myself by just reading a few tweets coming in on my timeline. I don't even spend any time on on uh, on Facebook. I, I have a broadcast page for the for the show, but no personal page that I use there. How could the rage not be attributed to social media? Frankly, as you see it. Well, there's a there's a couple of things. First of all, um, there, I, I don't I don't. I don't think there's any question that social media over the last few years probably has has increased the rage. I, I don't think it's the fundamental issue, but I, you know, I do think it's probably made things worse. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, you know, again, uh, you know, it's a funny thing. Um, there is um, there's surprisingly little actual research on the effect of social media, and the research we do have is sort of all over the map, but very, very little about. Um, Political views, right? You've got research on, on, you know, how Facebook affects teenage girls, or you know, how it affects specific things like that, how it affects depression, how it affects uh, eating disorders, things like that. Mm-hmm. But on politics, there's surprisingly little, and you know, possibly that's because it just there just hasn't been enough time. A few years is not very long in the life of an academic, and you know, maybe they they just need more time to mm-hmm. gather more data. But 
there's very little evidence uh, that uh, the social media has actually changed uh, political views very much. And the reason for that is that for the most part, you know, the, the, the really the really nutball stuff on social media mm-hmm. mostly isn't read by everybody. It's read by other people who already believe you, right? I mean, they, they kind of form these, these groups, and they all talk to each other, and they say crazy stuff, but they're mostly saying it to each other. And so there's, there's kind of reason to believe that it doesn't actually affect um, the broad, you know, the broad electorate all that much. So, well, um, can it, uh, you know, and that's sort of the bubble effect we hear about with social media, right. where, the, you know, sort of the more you use it, the more you get recommendations for articles and groups, et cetera, mm-hmm. that you are inclined to believe in. But, you know, if you're a Republican, Kevin, um, you know, who is inclined to support the uh, Republican Party and your political views might not change, but might they not harden? Might they? Might you get more and more enraged as you read more and more? Even if you don't read the articles, you know you see the headlines. You see w- whether they're fake news headlines or they are real. Uh, it might not change your politics, but might it intensify your beliefs? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it can. All I can say is that at this point is that um, there's not a lot of, of, of actual research evidence. To back that up, mm-hmm. but I will say that, that yeah, sure. I mean, I, I do believe that. I, 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 I think it does have some effect. Um, I think it's probably made things worse. On the other hand, very plainly, if we're talking about something that began in the year two thousand, mm-hmm. it's not social media. Uh, it can, it can be a factor, but it's not the not the real underlying cause because it just you know it's only been a big deal in politics since mm-hmm. maybe twenty sixteen or so. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a thing, but it's not the thing. It's not the thing because it wasn't around in the year 2000, uh, which brings right. us to your theory number three. Uh, the fact that, uh, or the argument in any event, that things really have gotten worse. And I would argue, as, as, as you do as well here, um, that that is certainly true in many respects, in some respects, before you note uh, or ask, uh, to what extent have these changes actually affected public sentiment, arguing surprisingly little as it turns out? Really? Yeah, this is, um, this is actually sort of a hobby horse of mine, that, um, you know, it, it's easy to become discouraged by what's going on right now, and uh-huh. it affects you emotionally. But if you, you know, if you just take, this is not even research, this is just, you know, take a look at just ordinary survey data for all sorts of things. You know, Gallup has been asking people forever about life satisfaction, about, you know, are you happy, about, you know, is your income satisfactory, you know, all, all you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the answers haven't changed. You know, about the same number of people are happy, satisfied with their life. Um, you, you start going down through all these things, you know, income, well, look, I mean, you and I both believe that income inequality um, is a bad thing and that we need to address it. On the other hand, you know, it's also uh, it's just a fact that, you know, middle, middle class incomes mm-hmm. have, have gone up over the last 20 years or so. They've gone up, should have gone up more, but they've mm-hmm. still gone up. So it's not, you know, that's not something that's likely to, to you know, to really make people angry. Mm-hmm. And you can go through, you know, over and over, I mean, all sorts of things, and you find very, very few that are really negative trends. I mean, crime is down, mm-hmm. teen pregnancy is down, drug abuse is down, um, 
uh, all sorts of things. And you just look at trend after trend after trend. You know what? Things are getting better. <laughs> and there's a few, you know, there's a few that aren't, mm-hmm. obviously, but not all that many. Um, even even the hot button political topics. I mean, if you're a, if you're a conservative, for example, uh, and maybe you know, a, 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 you know, immigration, illegal immigration is a hot button for mm-hmm. you. Well, okay, you know, there's a spike right now, but if you take a look at it over the last 20 years, it's gone down. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was at huge levels around the year 2000, and then. Uh, both George Bush and uh, Barack Obama and, uh, uh, you know, uh, had policies, mm-hmm. put policies in place and made it go down. It went down very significantly. So even there, there's not, it's hard to argue that, you know, that you've got something there that should really, really be be, be getting people uh, pissed off. And on the other and, side, racism uh, and anger against that, you cite data, uh, finding mm-hmm. that uh, people, including black people, uh, feel that racism has long been on the decline going all the way back to the 1950s. Right, and that's an example of needing to keep two things in mind at once. I mean, it's, you can argue that we need to do a lot more, and we do. At the same time, it has been getting better. Um, there's just, I mean, the, 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 the research data on that is unequivocal. There, there's just no question that overt racism has gotten better over mm-hmm. the years. Obviously, we're not where we want to be, and we need to keep working on it. But both of those things are true. And if those things are all true, and if those things actually have gotten better, uh, in fact, you know, with with data to back them up, um, that doesn't uh, necessarily explain why a lot of people don't necessarily believe that those things have gotten better, which kind of brings us to your answer. Uh, And before landing on your argument for the source of America's rage, uh, you summarize, it can't be all about a rise in conspiracy theories since they've been around for decades. It can't be social media since Facebook and Twitter have become popular in the political arena over the only over the past few years. It can't be a decline in material comfort since incomes and employment have steadily improved over the past couple of decades. It can't really be social trends since most of them have improved too. most of the specific issues that might cause alarm, immigration, racism and more are unlikely candidates on their own. They may be highly polarizing, but in a concrete sense, they haven't gotten worse since 2000. In fact, they've mostly gotten better. You write to find an answer. Then we need to look for things that a are politically salient and B, have changed dramatically over the past two to three decades, which brings us, Kevin Drum, uh, to the answer, uh, at least that you attribute to the uh, rise in America's rage. What is that answer, sir? Well, you know, earlier uh, in the program you mentioned that, oddly, you you said that it was Republicans who were more afraid of uh, that democracy was in trouble than Democrats. And that seems very strange, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But it seems less strange if you understand where they get that idea. You know, if things have actually been getting better for the most part over the last 20 years, where do they get the idea that things have been getting way worse <laughs> and democracy is in trouble? Mm-hmm. And when you, when you start looking around for explanations, there's only one that really, really seems to fit the data, and that's our good friends at Fox News. Now, you land on this, and of course I think you even mentioned uh, this may be an unsatisfying answer, uh, at least for many uh, uh, progressives and liberals who 
already sort of blame Fox News for everything. But you actually uh, are able to sort of support that in your data. Right. Um, you know, if you take a look at, I mean, I mean, first of all, of course, was taking a look at other things. And, um, you, know, you know, I thought social media was going to be a bigger deal than it turned out to uh-huh. be when I started working on this. Um, you take a look at the data. You know, you need something, like you said, you need something that starts around the year 2000, give or take. You need something that's, that's continued, you know, that's kept going for the entire 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you need something that's grown over the last 20 years. Well, you know, Fox News fits that. I mean, the Fox News started in 1996. For the first few years, didn't have very much uh, reach. And then around 2000, started really signing up more and more cable systems, mm-hmm. and the audience for Fox News started to grow, and, and, it's, and it's grown steadily ever since then. And there is a lot of research, there's plenty of research now uh, showing that the mere presence of Fox News on a cable system mm-hmm. uh, will um, increase the vote for Republicans by upwards of two or three percent. Yeah, which is a which is a huge amount, right? Yeah, in right. A, you know, in a fifty-fifty country like this, that's a that's a big big change. So it does have. So it's clear that Fox News has an effect mm-hmm. um, on voting. Anybody who watches Fox News, you don't even need any research for this, knows exactly how they do yeah. it. And that is not by being, you know, the most right-wing, uh, 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 you know, medium around. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're not. They're not. You know, there's others that are farther right-wing, but by focusing on fear, I mean, over and over, everything they do is designed to make people afraid, and that's why so many Republicans think that democracy is in danger because Fox News tells them that over yeah. and over and over yeah. again, and. And they believe it. And by the way, they... Why would, yeah, go ahead. And, and, you know, think about, you know, why wouldn't they believe it? Right? right? I mean, to them, Fox News is news. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's news, just like CNN or New York Times or anything else. As far as they're concerned, it's news. And, you know, the, why, why would the news, why would a news broadcast lie to you? Right. Uh, so, so they believe it. And they believe it, all, even though they believe that all the other news sources are lying to them. But that's really because sure. Fox News is is telling them that. So, of course. And, and by the way, you mentioned they were around since 96. They didn't have a lot of coverage. Also, uh, initially, they weren't quite as insidiously and nefariously, uh, you know, t- uh, that this far as they certainly are now to the right. Uh, and unapologetically lying to their uh, to their audience, uh, but Kevin Drum, I mentioned uh, Rush Limbaugh up top. He was around for many years in the uh, in the nineties before Fox, uh, who in in one sense sort of picked up the ball from Rush Limbaugh and sort of put his divisive and usually false arguments and misinformation onto television. No, why, why isn't Rush Limbaugh and the rise of right-wing talk radio the real source of America's rage here as you see it? Well, I don't, th- I don't think there's any question that they set the stage. And, and certainly they've made, things, they've made things worse. I mean, the entire right-wing media community is, is to blame for this. Um, but sure, Rush Limbaugh and then uh, Newt Gingrich, who's sort of my favorite uh, punching mm-hmm. bag, right. was, was, were absolutely, um, you know, got this started. But you know, the answer to this, I think, is there's a difference in two ways. One, television is television, radio is radio. Television is just far more powerful than radio. Um, the other, and this is a little how subtle, da- maybe, How dare you, Kevin Drum? All right, yeah, go ahead, I know, continue. Yes, I know. Go ahead. Um, but it's true. And <laughs> the other um, 
the other thing, it's a little bit subtle, but people don't always get this, which is, you know, Rush Limbaugh, even people who listen to him, I think, to some extent, understand that he's, he's sort of there for entertainment, mm. not for, you know, God's own truth. I mean, even, even the people who like him kind of, kind of get that. Whereas, you know, Fox News is nothing like that. Mm. Right? Fox News is news. Mm. I mean, it looks just like, just like CNN, right? It's a right. bunch of, you know, it's a bunch of folks in, in suits and ties and, yeah. and you and, know, and you can't, when you, just like anybody else. And, and you can't say when you say Fox News is news, because it is radio here, you can't put air quotes around the word news, because right. it's actually not news, but it sure looks like news, right? Well, and it's worse than that. You know, you, you know, people like you and I, we know perfectly well the difference between, um, say, you know, the daytime Fox News, which, you know, does have some news broadcast. Not much, Kevin, not much. I, I know, but there is a difference. Okay. Um, and the primetime, right? You know, you know, Sean Hannity and, and you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and Laura Ingram and those folks, Tucker. Um, but, you know, I, a lot of people, I think, don't get that. I mean, what happens no. is, you know, at 7 o'clock, there's somebody there in a suit and tie mm-hmm. doing something, you know, reading the news. And then at 8 o'clock, it's Tucker Carlson, and he's there in a suit and tie. Mm-hmm reading the news. And I think a lot of people who watch Fox News don't actually get that there's a difference yep. there. They think it's just the news. Yep. And and so all the primetime stuff, you know, a lot of people who apologize for Fox News like to argue that, yeah, okay, you know, the primetime stuff is bad, but hey, they also do stuff that's in daytime that's, you know, that's real news. Well, mm. you know, as you said, yeah, mm. the real news <laughs> is less real news than, than right. they'd like you to believe. But, uh, you know, there's no question the primetime stuff is worse. And a lot of people, I think, just don't, they just don't see that. I mean, they just don't understand sort of the news ecosystem, if you will. Yeah. And to them, it's just another guy in a suit. Uh, there is no question, and I have argued, and I know you have uh, at, at, at your various uh, 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 media outlets, you know, that Fox News is just brain poisoning this country. It has done so. Uh, slowly but surely over the past 20 years or so. And, and you know, and as to uh, radio, by the way, and, and Rush Limbaugh, what I would argue there is that once Fox News came around, you know, it was one thing to hear Rush Limbaugh telling you something, but if you then came home and saw it on your television set and heard that same thing and then or heard something on Fox News that night and then the next morning you get in your car, drive to work and hear Rush Limbaugh echoing that same thing. Now it's not just one source. It's an entire ecosystem, um, you know, that sort of undergirds uh, all of these beliefs and, and drives it into your brain as if it is reality. When it certainly is not, um, Kevin. I, I, I. Last question here. I don't believe that your essay actually goes into details on this aspect, but and maybe that'll be the next six thousand word essay for uh, for for Mojo. But if Fox News is the problem, what is the solution, Kevin? Well, that's that's a very good question. Uh, you know, the reason I think this is important is is not that I don't think people should be worried about social media. I mean, go ahead and fight social media. I, you know, I think you should. There's a lot of a lot of bad stuff there, but uh, you know, Fox News is by far the bigger problem. And I understand that for a lot of people, this is a little boring. Maybe it's like, all right, we've been fighting Fox News for 20 years, mm-hmm. and we haven't come up with a solution. And I guess my message to people is, 
look, I mean, it doesn't matter whether whether it's boring, whether it's tedious, whether whether you like doing it. That's where the problem is, and mm. that's what we have to keep fighting. Now, how do we do it? Boy, that's a good question. Um, you know, advertising boycotts don't work really because Fox News doesn't really work, doesn't really rely on on advertising for most of their most of their income. Uh, mm. You can't get them taken off cable systems. Uh, I mean, the cable systems just won't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing that I've suggested, and this is just one one thing to toss out, is I, I, I just don't think that the rest of us should treat anybody who works for Fox News, I don't care from the janitor on up, mm. as just another person. If you mm-hmm. work for Fox News, as far as I'm concerned, you should be persona non grata. Mm. Uh, you, are, you are, in my view, basically working for uh, uh, a, well, I almost hate to say this, but a more or less traitorous organization. Mm. Um, because as far as I'm concerned, Rupert Murdoch and Fox News, their sole um, goal is to create chaos mm-hmm. and to make money from doing it. And and and, they're and very if you contribute to that, yeah. Then then I don't think we should have anything to do with you. Um, you're not our friend. You're you're not you're not a good person. Period. And they are very successful at what they do, uh, and their business model seems to be breaking America. And yes. they're doing a hell of a good job at, at it. Uh, Kevin Drum, his article at MotherJones.com is uh, headlined, The Real Source of America's Rage. As I say, you can find it at MotherJones.com. We will link to it when we post the show at Bradblog.com tonight. You can and should follow his, uh, his old school uh, blogging at his <laughs> new site, Jabberwalking.com, where he continues all sorts of traditions uh, that uh, actually both he and I have been at for about uh, 20 years now. I think he beat me to it by a, a few years. So how he's still standing, I can't tell you. You can also follow him on the Twitters at KDrum. Kevin Drum, always great speaking with you, my friend. Let's not wait another three or four years before we do it again. Well, let's not. Thank you, sir. Okay, quick break, and we're back with our closing few minutes, apparently, on the yes. Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. But there's no sound that no one knows. What does the fox say? It's your favorite song, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What the fox say? <laughs> Not too far off. Yeah, no, it isn't really. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Of course, as expected, I ran late with Kevin Drum, so I've got just a minute or so uh, left. But as usual, Desi Doyen, you had some cogent thoughts uh, that you raised uh, while we took a break there. I have some thoughts. I wouldn't necessarily call them cogent, but I would say that two things. One thing that Kevin had said was that he didn't think that there was really anything that could be done about Fox on cable news uh, being carried by cable news Yeah, you providers. can't get rid of them. They're but like is, uh, herpes there, or something. Yeah, <laughs> There is a move on to require cable providers to allow a la carte choices for channels that they can't force you to purchase mm. Fox News, just like they can't force you to purchase Channel 
channels you're not interested in. That hasn't gone anywhere yet. So if that yet. happened, we'd be able to say, I don't want Fox News, and they would lose a lot of money. Right now, we all pay for Fox News, whether we watch it or not. Correct. Got so it. potentially that's a one yeah. that's an avenue of change, but right. also want to point people toward Jen Senko's documentary, yeah. The Brainwashing of My Dad. Mm. People have watched it. They say it has helped them reach out to their uh, family members and friends who have been lost down the Fox News rabbit hole. So that's a thing, a uh, potential area of a uh, place to look yeah. to see for some resources to to help, you know, pull some people back from the Because without movie. giving away the end of that documentary, she actually pulls her dad back from his brainwashing. Uh, we interviewed That's literally her. giving away the end of the documentary. Oh, yeah. But yeah well, but I haven't said how it happens. This is true. So we had her on the show, interviewed her a few years ago when that film came out. You're right. It is a, 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 a really important documentary, The Brainwashing of My Dad. Yes. So that's what we leave you with. And the question of which is going to burn down first, the planet or the country? <laughs> we will all ponder that over the next few days until we meet again. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Kevin Drum of Mother Jones, also now of Jabberwalking.com, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated and an honor. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download all of them going back years and years for free at bradblog.com. While you're there, please consider hitting that donate button or you can go straight to bradblog.com donate to keep us on your public airwaves since we don't get that sweet, sweet Fox News deal of, you know, just getting paid to come into your house. And lie to you. There you go. You can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. I will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. What the fuck? Say happy, happy.